0: Empower Radio presents The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Break through the illusion of separation, explore the infinite field of possibility, and make connections that inspire. Now, here's your host, Dr. Julie Kroll. Hello, and welcome, everyone. Welcome to The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Each week, we gather right here to make connections that break through that illusion of separation. And I trust something you hear in the next hour will give you a renewed sense of hope. Why? Well, women are no longer trying to break that glass ceiling. They're organizing in circles and communities all over the world, sweeping up those shards of broken glass and moving on to a global agenda. These inspired women activists protect and rescue children and women cherish and protect the wilderness, trees, and animals, nurture the young of all living things, and believe that men and women should have equal opportunities and responsibilities to shape decisions that matter. Our guest today calls this the, Arte- the Artemis effect, and these grassroots movements have become one of the greatest indicators of impending good for our planet to have peace peace and to prosper. So what is the Artemis effect I speak of? We are going to find out. I invite you to take a few deep breaths, bring your awareness into this moment, open your mind, connect with your heart, and settle into your essential self as I introduce our guest. Dr. Jean Boland is a psychiatrist, Jungian analyst, and author of 13 influential books, in 85 foreign translations, the Tao of psychology, goddesses in every woman, urgent message from mother, moving toward the millionth circle, and Artemis are just a few. She's a distinguished life fellow of the American Psychiatric Association, was clinical professor of Psychiatry at UCSF, former board member of the Ms. Foundation for Women, and International Transpersonal Association. She is in the Academy Award-winning, anti-nuclear proliferation film, Women for America for the World, the Canadian Film Board's Goddesses, Remembered, and *Fem: Women Healing the World. A visionary and practical activist, I love that because she is, and you're going to learn this, who seeds circles with a scattered center as a means to transform women in the circles and transform the world. She's been the leading advocate for the UN Fifth World Conference on Women, I encourage you to go to her website, you'll find out where that's at later, and sign that petition with us. So, welcome, Jean.
1: Thank you, Julie. I wonder, where should we start and where will we go?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is going to be a wonderful conversation. I've looked forward to this for months. And I do have a traditional first question, Dr. Boland. So I'm going to start there because we like to ground our conversation in a bigger perspective. So can you share with our listeners, what does all things connected mean to you?
1: It means that we're part of the Tao. We're part of the oneness that underlies everything in this universe. And we are capable of being connected at the heart level with all living things on this planet, among other things. Mm. But that'll do.
0: That is a good start because we are going to talk about many things, but this book, Artemis, has really intrigued me. And I'll I'll kind of set the ste- the scene for you as far as my passion with this is because I I love your work. I've loved your work for decades. I'm a psychotherapist by training and and I love everything that you've done. And this Artemis book kind of caught me after my own waking to my Artemis and really coming into the, the passion of What's next? What do we do to serve this world and this global purposing thing? So why don't you start by telling our listeners, who is Artemis?
1: Well, let me say, first of all, that the subtitle of the book is the indomitable spirit in every woman. Mm -hmm. And it is a spirit that most of us who have a sense of sisterhood or a sense of spirituality and connection, connectedness to wilderness or nature or animals, we come into the world actually with a kind of inherent or archetypal sense of this sort of thing. I mean, my background is as a Jungian analyst, and out of that notion is the sense that there are archetypes in us that is deeper than our personal unconscious, there are patterns, much like talents. You know, the human human talents of intelligence and athletics and music and art and various things, everybody has a smidgen of it, but individuals come into the world with more of one thing than another, because that just sort of came in with their genetic code and their family story and whatever, and so this is true for the archetypal patterns that I base goddesses and every woman on. The the patterns that still are around, we recognize them because the Greeks named them and the Romans named them, and Artemis is the Greek goddess of the hunt and goddess of the moon, and she was the archetype that got liberated by the women's movement, and that she is the archetype of the competitor The sister, I mean, you know, if you are the goddess of the hunt and goddess of the moon, for one thing, you can aim at a target of your own choosing and you can persevere and go for it. That's that's part of your nature. You see it in your, I mean, I saw it in my two-year-old daughter who could focus on something she was interested in and be totally absorbed, not easily distracted. Other archetypes are more easily distracted than this one. And the other is the moon side. And the moon side is about reflection. It's about a kind of natural tendency to kind of go mystical at times, in nature especially. And given that she came into the world as a the older of two twins, it's rather natural for this particular archetype to feel uh, fine as equals with guys. And you see this in kids, young kids, uh, girls who... Who um, find it quite natural to to be tomboys, for example, at a certain phase of their their lives. I think I'm, just, you know, I think I'm describing a lot of people. Yourself, probably, Julie. Uh, certainly, I'm describing myself as as someone who, from the time I was a Girl Scout, uh, had a real affinity for being moved by the beauty and vastness of the sky and of nature.
0: Mm. I could just see all these young little girls. I mean, I think my daughter is an Artemis too. I mean, and and I really appreciate the writing of the book, and and I do love that subtitle as well. But the book comes after really a realization you had in in writing the goddesses in every woman. And you talked about that, and I'm curious. You also just mentioned a moment ago that it, she was unleashed with the women's movement. Do you want to put that into perspective for us?
1: Well, she she truly did get liberated by the women's movement. You know, the whole sayings of this of in the '70s. Well, first of all, it it didn't come about. The, the women's feminism was was sort of. Born in the late 60s, and and it and it reached a tipping point. So by the 70s, it the 70s was a decade of the women's movement, and one of the things is that it drew women into consciousness raising groups, women who had a a sisterhood affinity, and this again is archetypal. Not every girl, not every woman has a, a sense of sisterhood with other women. But if you have Artemis as one of your archetypes, and we're rather complex people so that it could be that you have several really active ones. But if you have Artemis as an active one, then it's um, there is a, a quality of, of sisterhood, uh, of support in each other. Uh, the, the women's movement came along with Title IX and things like that, and suddenly little girls were... Allowed to play on teams. I remember the first soccer teams that little girls of five, six, and eight were were doing. And it uh, bloomed, this sort of sense of, oh, and and I remember when my my daughter was a brownie, this, this saying got to be, a brownie can do anything. Well, culture encourages what it encourages, and it discourages and makes you feel badly about things that that culture doesn't want you to develop. So the very things that were being cheered on from the 70s on, prior to that, were considered unladylike, and, uh, uh, well, you, you couldn't even wear clothes that would allow you to, to be a runner, for example, that, that that girls and women are runners. This this is actually kind of revolutionary. So. I'm I'm appreciating that the freedom we have since the women's movement to live out the Artemis sides of ourselves is remarkable and when I think about all the women who have to wear uh shrouds over their heads so to speak and and not show that not not go out of doors uh I, it was recently on on 60 minutes the story No, I guess it was on another program. It was on um, GPS. A a girl from Pakistan who had dressed herself as a boy because otherwise she could never get out of the house. She could, and here she is, she she borrowed her brother's clothes and had her hair cut and she participated pre-adolescent in boys sports and really was good at it. And to do that was a, a major, major thing where she comes from. But in the United States, if you want to do that and you're a little girl or an older girl, that's just fine. I mean, this is a freedom we did not have as young women and in, in an earlier time, in the, even in the United States. So I'm saying that this is the archetype that got liberated by the women's movement. It it assumes that women are the are equal to and can uh, share power and share uh, a lot of things with men and still be women.
0: Mm. Yeah, you know, you, you talk about these qualities of Artemis and I, you know, it's hard to even imagine our world going back even just a few decades with all the progress that we've made. And and we're on this new trajectory of even greater social change. So, um, like I mentioned in the intro, we've moved from breaking the grass, glass ceiling to gathering to save the climate or to save those children. And, and so I love how you put that into perspective because it also weaves together your work and your message of the millionth circle and the urgent message from the mother and moving toward the millionth circle. It's like really watching us as a culture and as a sisterhood, really stepping forward into a a greater responsibility now let's, let's talk about that a little bit um, you, you know Artemis is full of grit and passion and persistence and here we have women creating new organizations new different activists um, stepping forward what are you seeing on the planet
1: well my activism uh, really appreciates how women together can make a difference Uh, that that, um, I watched what happened in the late 60s and early 70s. It appeared to be just women talking to each other and sharing what they were learning. And these are the consciousness-raising groups, the awareness that... That is, and I'm I'm remembering the uh, women's residence seminar that I led in the about a decade or so later, when when women were entering professions, and as they ran into sexism and things, initially they thought it was them. You know, somebody harassed them. They thought, well, maybe they were giving mixed signals, and then when they talked with each other, they found that the the particular ones that were 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 crossing boundaries and and uh, making them feel like somehow they had invited overtures that they had not invited, but they thought maybe they had when they shared that information with each other and found that, oh, it wasn't just me. there's a liberation that comes from sharing the truth of your life that I'm not the only one who. and that's what began with the women's movement of women trusting each other with, the things they were not supposed to tell other people, like what happened to them uh, at various times where they were taken advantage of and blamed themselves. And the whole, the whole notion of blaming the victim started to get shifted and is shifted now. I mean, it's still, the issues still are, are around. I mean, uh, and, and, and here we are, we're back to trying to get an equal rights amendment from 30 mm-hmm. years ago. So we've 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 had something to do with the grass ceiling, but there are still a lot of barriers and a social assumptions. That the the major thing though is that women's movement women who are now baby boomers have raised sons as well as daughters that have a natural sense of equality, and so there are young men and women, or at this point, women and men in their forties, pushing fifty. Who grew up at a different time, when equality, peership, um, sharing vulnerabilities—I mean, because guys grow up in a culture where they're never supposed to be vulnerable. They're supposed to have contempt for anybody who shows vulnerability. They're supposed to stay with their with the guys and and go along with them when they pick on other people and things like that. And and really, that has been changing too, which is which really does make a difference. Mm. And that uh, when, 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 I, when I talk about Artemis as the archetype of the sister, it's not just sisterhood with other women, it's brother and sister with men, a sense of equality, uh, a sense of um, being able to learn from each other and help each other and be vulnerable together. Uh, it's a good time. To have Artemis as one of your archetypes.
0: It is a good time. It's a beautiful time on the planet, and we're watching these this transformation happening and, and a lot of people are in fear. There's so much anxiety and fear as we're watching the state of things in this present moment. What would you say to women who might be a little anxious or are not seeing that equality? I know my daughter-in-law is in physical therapy school and a couple of weeks ago she came home and said, oh my gosh, um, women are still making sixty cents on the dollar in physical therapy compared to men what would you say to these young women and and others on the planet who are full of anxiety and fear well
1: change makes people anxious um, mm-hmm. for women to know that they can support themselves in this world uh, gives them a Is some choice. So education is the first thing that really makes a difference all over the world. That when people who are, in a hierarchical way, considered inferiors, whether they be black or brown or women or whatever, one of the first things is the difference in access to education. So as soon as you say... I mean the the English when they oppressed the Irish wouldn't allow the Irish to, to to be educated so there were hedge schools where you could be punished if you were teaching Irish kids to read this is the same thing in 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 the middle east if you're teaching women girls if you're educating them you're 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 going against the culture because you're supposed to keep people uh in an inferior position so one of the best things that can happen to uh young women who have some anxiety about this changing world is that to become competent, to get an education, to do work you love. And also I have been I have been signing off in this about the last four months or so, um with what I ended the book Artemis on, but I added one more word. I sign off with love, hope, perseverance, trust, and optimism. And I think that when you go into your life uh, from a place of love rather than of fear and and with hope um, and perseverance to do something that's important for you to do and to trust That there is a spiritual or sacred world, a oneness uh, in which when you trust that you're doing, you're living your, your own genuine life and you're using the mind that you were given and the body you have and you're appreciative of that and you are moving forward with the sense that the world is going to be meeting you half more than halfway if you will meet it this optimistic feeling that goes with it creates the it's, it's not it it feels sometimes like magical thinking to to realize how synchronistic events helps you on your path when you are living it from a deeper place when it's part of your centeredness or your archetype of the self, when you feel yourself to be, uh, to matter, and you move, and, and you act accordingly, that, there are, that what happens is, we call synchronicity, or um, auspicious things happen to indicate something about the direction being supported. Um, I don't think that fear, I think, I think courage, what, what fear can do is challenge you to step up to the plate and that exercises some muscle that I would call courage. And I think that so many little girls, for example, and little boys on being sent off to school and running into the bullies that are there uh running into the unknown things that that indomitable spirit which is why i particularly like that word and chose it as a subtitle is that the indomitable spirit in us keeps on keeping on and it it has it grows we grow in courage which is which is a word that comes from heart when we move forward and do and go in the direction Uh, that our heart heart chooses to go into. Um, Not that it necessarily is easy, because we are tested. It's sort of like, oh, you really want to do this? You really think you're able to do this? You really think that? And a part of you has to say, yes, I'm going to act as if it matters to me, and I'm going to speak up or step forward or continue. And the more you do that, that indomitable spirit keeps growing. And when I, in my practice in depth work, hear what my patients who are now adults had to go through with their dysfunctional families and the bad things that happened and that they got through it and they survived. I know that there's something in them that was in them as children that got them through some very hard times. And I think that's the nature of our lives. There are always hard times. There are unchosen circumstances. There are bad things that happen to us. And what we have is a choice of continuing on anyway. Maybe uh, it's a, it's about attitude. It's about and we can always choose how we're going to respond to something when we cannot choose, you know, what has happened to us.
0: Mm. Oh, I love that because it is so, it is so true. We always have the opportunity to respond in a new way. And thank you so much for that. We're going to take a break here in a minute, but I just want to just really rest in that knowing of, of where you're coming from now with this Artemis. I love the indomitable spirit. And she's also a midwife and I just, really hear in your words that we're midwifing, we're birthing this new, courageous, soul-centric consciousness that moves us out of this place of separation. So before we take a break, and there's so much more to come, and I want to talk to you about your work with Circles, but before we take a break, I want to give the listeners your website so they know how to find you. Can you give us your website, please?
1: It's Jean J-E-A-N-B-O-L-E-N dot com. And my full name is also on it. You can also find it under Jean Shinoda dot com.
0: Ex- Excellent. OK, there's lots of goodies right there on your website. I encourage our listeners to sign up for your newsletter and stay up with what's going on in your world. And we're going to hear so much more when we come back. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with Jean Bolin.
2: Let's say you're a mom, and you want to put on the perfect birthday party for your twin daughters. So you get a clown, and he dazzles everyone. And you order a cake, and have the bakery put something nice on it. Happy birthday, girls. And you hire a pony to give everyone rides. (laughs) And it all goes perfectly. Best party ever, mom! And you're the perfect mom. But even if it doesn't go that way, and your clown doesn't dazzle... And the bakery doesn't spell out the right message. Happy birthday, Gil? And the pony doesn't give everyone rides. (coughs) It can still be the perfect birthday party because kids don't always see things the way you see them. Best party ever, Mom! You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. There are thousands of siblings in foster care who'll take you just as you are. For more information on how you can adopt, go to AdoptUsKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Adopt Us Kids and the Ad Council. Have you ever dreamed of being a karate master? Hi-ya! Well, stop dreaming and start chopping with the karate glove.
0: Hi, my name's Molly, inventor of the karate glove, and I have just one and a half words for you. Hi-ya! The karate glove chops through anything. Just put it on and instantly chop through wood, Hi-hi! concrete. Hi-ya! Brick walls, buttons, trees, small cars. It can even chomp through these eight guitars.
2: It chops things. If I can invent a karate glove, just imagine what you can do. Visit inventnow.org to get started on your invention. Anything's possible. Keep thinking.
0: Brought to you by the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, the National Inventors Hall of Fame Foundation, and the Ad Council.
2: It's high on time. <laughs> sassy, sassy. This week's episode: Fire at the shed. Gee, Johnny, this rope swing sure is swell. Don't I know it? <laughs> hey, it's Sassy. I think she's
1: trying to tell us something. <laughs> Mr. Gunderson? What about Mr. Gunderson?
2: <coughs> a fire? Mr. Gunderson's trapped? Where, Sassy? Where? <coughs> what, Sassy? Now that you've got our attention, you'd like to take a moment to talk about shelter pets? <coughs> shelter pets in general are well adjusted, healthy, and love being with people? Sassy, we don't have time! <coughs> Pets often end up in shelters due to owner problems like divorce or allergies? That's great, Sassy, but what about the fire? (coughs) There is no fire. (coughs) You're just messing with our heads? Sassy! Sassy is brought to you by the Ad Council and the ShelterPetProject.org. Remember, adopt.
0: Now, back to the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected on Empower Radio. Welcome back. We're here with Dr. Jean Shinoda Bolin. And if you are inspired by our conversation today, I invite you to share it with others and maybe listen to it again. You can visit our website at thedrjulieshow.com where you'll find all the archive links as well as a listing of upcoming guests. And also stay connected all week on our Facebook page, all things connected with Dr. Julie, where we continue the conversation. Dr. Bolin and I would both like to hear from you, so give us leave us a message there. Also visit her website at jeanbolin.com, J E A N B O L E N dot com. Doctor Bolin, I one of the things that um I think is really interesting is that so many of these women who are now finding this Artemis inside of themselves, really living the the archetype, are beginning to channel that energy for the good of the whole. They're not just out hunting and gathering for family anymore and and doing that beautiful Artemis work that we're talking about, but we've been watching women around the planet really step up in big ways to make a difference. And, and part of that inspiration, I think, I believe, because I know in my circle of friends, a lot of that influence came from you bringing that to our attention. Um, literally, when you wrote urgent message from the mother, that was a beautiful book. Um, writing the millionth circle, that was inspiring. And then moving toward the millionth circle. Here we are women and we're like have all this Artemis energy and want to know what to do with it. So let's talk about that for a moment. Besides just the education, what is this circle thing? And what did you tell us about the millionth circle and what you wrote about there?
1: Well, one of the things about being an author—at um, least the kind of author I am—I <laughs> I, I essentially get pregnant with a book, and 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 then it sort of wants to be written through me and go out into the world. And then, like a, like you know, our own kids go out into the world, and and then we hear what they're doing, and and then they pull us along. Well, that's what happened with this little book called *The Mayan Circle*. It was written in 1999. I um, got it, the whole principle of how the millionth circle is a metaphoric number. It's, It's when you reach tipping point and suddenly things that were resisted or wasn't happening reaches, reaches in, the, in it's always in the grassroots, too. It's sort of like the whole women's movement was a grassroots movement. It appeared to be just women talking to each other. You don't have to bother with them. They're just y- yakking, right? Only hmm. I mean, they weren't. They were supporting each other to learn what sexism was, what, how it impinged on each woman personally, and then as people, women, got it, uh, and that, and how they realized that having an equal relationship was important, or having equal pay was important, or having a voice was important, they would support each other to do whatever was up for the individual or, or the group. And so, some women organized marches and some conferences, and most who were in partnerships went to their partner, and talked about having an equal relationship. <laughs> and it was happening all over the United States, but especially on the coast where there were college kids. And And uh, what happened is that it grew without it being noticed until it was just at the edge, and then it became like the women's movement in four years. I mean, the first mention of all this was, was around 1963, 1966, and then by 1970, it was really a big deal. Well, I understood something of the dynamics of it from my anti-nuclear proliferation work as well. And and there was at that time the story of the hundredth monkey, and it was based on the notion that um, that species that a species it's theoretical biology. It 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 it's about how When a species uh, learns something new, it becomes like what that species now does. Now, how that happens had to be theorized. So a theoretical biologist named Rupert Sheldrake described how this occurs, and it happens to coincide with how we might be able to influence what Jung calls the human collective unconscious. And it means that a phenomenon of reaching a critical mass or tipping point can occur whereupon, after that, this is what people now believe is, you know, if if, if we change the human perception about women being equal, for example... At first, it's fought. I mean, you know, women, we didn't get the right to vote in the United States until 1920 because we weren't supposed to be bright enough or interested enough in politics to vote. And then once we got the vote, and it was really a big fight to get the vote, the attitude is, well, haven't we always voted? Haven't women always voted? That's what change really looks like. And based on a whole allegorical story that was used by the anti-nuclear activists, based on this notion of critical mass tipping point, it was a story of the 100th monkey, and it, and it gave us an allegorical example. When the 100th monkey learned something new, then all the monkeys, even though they were not connected with each other directly, now did this new thing. Well, I happen to be going to uh, a conference as a guest of the people who used to be beyond war was, a, was the most... Back an the Anti-Nuclear Proliferation Organization, I'd, I'd come across. And the reason, instead of scaring us and frightening us, they reminded us about the beauty of the planet, the beauty of children, and how it could be all gone if we started nuclear warfare. And people got it. And at a certain point in our history, the Anti-Nuclear Proliferation Movement Tip the scales, and for a time, it's like we stopped the nuclear arms race. And the story that that empowered people when it appeared that they, you know, what's the point? What do you think you can you can you think you could change the superpowers? You think you could persuade the 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 superpowers to stop the arms race? Who do you who are you kidding? But people who cared about this issue realized that this was the most important issue of their lifetime. And if they could make a difference, they wanted to. And they had the story of the 100th monkey that empowered them that said, you know, until we get to the metaphoric number, nobody can tell that we're making a difference. But if I do my part, maybe I'm only the 40th monkey in the story of the allegory. Maybe I'm the 99th one. But there has to be the 14th and the 50th and the 99th ones until critical mass is reached And the nuclear arms race would be over. And as a matter of historical fact, what happened is the anti-nuclear proliferation uh, treaty between the United States and the Soviet Union was signed. The Berlin Wall did come down. And for a time, we were no longer in the shadow of of an atomic bomb. Well... That influenced me a lot, that whole story of the 100th monkey and the uh, story of morphic fields and how that could change things. And I got the inspiration about women's circles and how if they proliferated, because of what I know women's circles do, they, they support the women in them to tell the truth of their lives, to share what's going on, and each woman in it looks across at her friend, sister in the circle, and has a realization, if she could do that, or if she survived that, I could too. And what I came up with is the circle with a spiritual or a sacred center as a model. It is the one way that it differed from the consciousness-raising groups. That is, it's a model that's also based on... on the idea that if we sit in a circle, one is we're equals. So we're not in hierarchy. Nobody is has power over each of us. Has our own voice. Each of us speaks for ourselves. And beyond what we can contribute, we can tap in together to the invisible realm of the spirit or the sacred. We can pray. We can meditate. We can visualize in silence and get an energy connection with that that is more than just the circle of women. It's a, its a big, huge add-on, say. And so that is the model that I was describing as the man circle, how to change ourselves and the world, an essential guide for women's circles. And I came home from this conference where this whole thing fell into place for me and wrote it out. And then had nothing. The words were enough for a brochure, not a book. And then the sequence of things, events happened, including synchronicities. I called up a, a publisher that I knew that I that I knew published little books because this is what this would have to be. It was a little book, and I I I I got the publisher on the first phone call, which had never happened never happened again. And I I said, I have this sort of a book I thought maybe you'd be interested in because you publish little books. And she said, well, what is it about? And I said, it's about women's circles. And she said, we have been actively looking for a book on women's circles. We're working on our fall catalog, and we have one empty slot. Send it over. We'll take a look at it. And I did, and it was published before the book that I was actually seriously writing which was goddesses and older women. So it came out into the world, and then it took me into the world. It's like the book made its way through one woman to the Parliament of World Religions in South Africa. The women, a small group, got together there, talked to each other about how this ought to be something that could be introduced to the United Nations. And so a woman in Geneva talked to a woman in California, and, and the next thing I knew is that I got a call from this woman in California who I'd never met before who described the whole phenomenon or what happened to this little book of mine where well, the next question would be, we would like to use the name The Millionth Circle, The Millionth Circle Initiative. We are planning to have an organizing meeting, and we would like you to come to it. And it's just up the road from where you live. <laughs> And that's how I got to the United Nations and how I ended up taking on being a principal advocate for the United Nations Fifth World Conference on Women, which I hope will happen in 2020 now. I keep having to persevere. First, I thought it'd be nice if it happened in 2010. The last one was in 1995, before the Internet in Beijing. So I thought maybe there'd be one in 19, you know, in 2010. There wasn't pushed for one in 2015. Uh, and now I'm looking at 2020 with the idea that if the women of the world got together as they did in Beijing, then we empower each other. We learn from each other. We network as friends going in the same direction. And we could change the world. I am absolutely convinced that we are moving towards that time of equality for women. And women being different than men in certain ways of hormonal ways, ways of bonding, ways of looking after children, that together with, with men who work with women, that looking after the children means looking after the environment, means looking after the planet, and maybe just in the nick of time, we can really transform this planet and humanity in an evolutionary way instead of... Going in the direction of destruction, hmm. you can tell I have a bit of energy for this.
0: Oh well, it's your Artemis coming out to play today, and <laughs> I love her and appreciate her because you are absolutely right. There this transformation of of our our planet and humanity and this this culture that's creating. The issues, it's kind of like I take your words where you said it's it's not what happens to us that counts, it's how I respond. And we're doing that on a global scale now. We're watching it happen. And your work with the millionth circle is picked up in neighborhoods and friendships, small people, but it's also like you said – all the way up to the United Nations. So thank you for that as a gift to all humanity. I appreciate that. But the other thing that you say, Dr. Bullen, that I think is important to bring into this, weave into the conversation is you talk about balancing and harmonizing the masculine and feminine and men and women, not the women taking over, but really bringing that balance back into the equation.
1: Oh, definitely. It's it's how to be it. It's to live in a culture where where we all can become whole people. You know, in the world of hierarchy and power over, the left brain in humans then becomes dominant. And what happens to boys is that they develop one sidedness, so that the most alpha males in this world really do have asymmetrical brains. Their left brain which is about rational, logical thinking, it's about use of strategy and power, it's about thinking in words, um, it it becomes used so much more than the other side, which is more about aesthetics and music and feelings and intuitions and, and can um, uh, hold a number of different feelings and images at the same time. Uh, you know, that... That women have a, a genetic advantage because, at least as we are now, we have more fibers that go between the right and left brain, and and you know it because we well. Fortunately, I'm also talking about women like us who have been privileged to be educated, so we develop our linear thinking and our rational side and stuff like that. And on the other hand, through relationships and friendships and art and music, we we as as the female gender are often encouraged to to develop that side more than boys are encouraged to develop it. And and then when you have kids, you have to multitask. There's no way you can survive without multitasking mm-hmm. and care, you know, taking care of the kids on one hand or the feelings of our friends or the feelings of our partners or whatever, looking after feelings cuz that's what women traditionally do. Um and we're encouraged to learn how to do that actually. And so At this point in culture, uh, we as, as girls and women are more privileged and more potentially able to develop as whole people than people, male or female, on this whole planet has ever been allowed to do. And I also am really trying to get the baby boomers, who now are 60 going on 70, and who may have a couple more decades to go there has never been on this planet as educated as experienced and as bonded with each other a generation of women as american women since the women's movement who are now say as boomers pushing over the line from into their 60s and i i would hope that that finding something to do that would make a difference to their grandchildren and children, if that's where their energies lie, or in taking on looking after what it is they love, whether it's peace, whether it's trees, whether it's animals, whether it's children, you know that this is a huge resource uh, that 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 needs to be. Um, First first of all, when you you are able to use yourself and keep on learning and growing and loving and and all that, you know, it's a joy to keep on growing until we're, you know, on the other side. We we can keep on having new experiences and learning and growing and this sort of thing. And I would just like to, you know, generate uh, more and more circles because I think that is the way that women... And then inspire each other and support each other to do whatever it is that each individual woman has a calling to do um, so that 's where i 'm doing seeding work missionary work seeding circles mm.
0: what a beautiful what a beautiful mission that is and i I just think about um, the there's so many beautiful organizations movements, initiatives. There's, there's, there's so much out there and a lot of women led. And you mentioned that in your book. You mentioned that in, in different writings, articles, speeches that you give that really on our planet right now. If you want to get behind something, you don't have to go out and start your own. There are a plethora of opportunities to do that, to save a tree, to to save the water, to save the children, to, you know, equality, all of those things that you're listing. There are so many organizations out there.
1: I had, uh, you know, I I have been going to the United Nations since 2002, ever since that little book of mine, The Million Circle, uh, got me there. And I I was inspired and appalled by what I was learning, that women were doing all over the world and the kinds of things that were happening to little girls and bigger girls and women and the kinds of amazing things that women, in the midst of all of that, were doing to help the situation. And it occurred to me to want to reflect back to them what I saw them doing. And I, as part of what I understood they were doing is I understood that they had each been, in many ways, lucky enough to have picked up what I call an assignment. And I realized that if you have a cause uh, of any kind that comes from the heart, um, there's you have an assignment. And I define assignment as all inner uh Decisions based on inner direct. Only you from inside out can know one. First of all, is this meaningful? This thing that I might want to do, is it meaningful to me? And when it is, it has something to do with what you have learned from your own experience or from people you've loved, That that it does make a difference now, that it's meaningful to you because you know something about it. And then for activists of all kinds, I suggested the question... Will it be fun? Now, m- most people start to think about causes as being kind of grim and to the front lines and all that, which is often has a truth to it. But fun is being used well in, in, in f- for something that matters to you. Fun is about doing it with others that are moving in the same direction as you are, that have the same values you are, and who can laugh together and cry together and celebrate together, and regroup together. And the third one, is it meaningful, is it fun, and the third one, is it motivated by love? Not by revenge, not by fear, but by love for whatever it is that you want to help or to save. You can be appallingly upset because what you love is being trashed. A vulnerable animal or child is being hurt, and you're just outraged like Mother Bear, but your outrage is based on love for what it is that you want to help, and so I'm saying you're really if you if something comes along with your name on it, so to speak, it's a purely voluntary job, voluntary thing if you will step up and take it on. But it will be meaningful, fun, and motivated by love. And you'll find that it gives your life more meaning when you do that. So I think we're very fortunate whenever something comes along and we pick it up as our personal assignment. It has our name on it. We will, you know, we'll we'll do it. And it may lead to something else. It may be something that um, we do for the rest of our lives, or it may be something that we get a taste of something and know that that's not exactly what direction I want to go in. But it, but I learned something. It, it won't. It didn't go to waste. Mm.
0: Beautiful. I love those three questions that you ask as they're discerning what's theirs to do. That is this really brilliant. Thank you for sharing that. I just want to mention to our listeners on goodofthewhole.com, there is a tab of resources. And under there, there are dozens and dozens of organizations led by women, for women, but there's also dozens and dozens more and you're sure to find something that would fit those three questions if you want to get involved dr Boland, we just have a few minutes to close and i just want to remind our listeners we're talking to dr jean Boland. you can find her at jean com. what in a minute or less what inspiration would you like to leave our listeners with today
1: i think beauty has a lot to do with with um what makes a heart sing. I think that that, uh, Mm. I I consider myself um, a heart-connected activist, and I think about the heart as this amazing organ that requires that it fills before it can go out. And so I think that anybody who is doing something in the world that takes energy must also fill. So like the heart, you know, you've got these, when you get your blood pressure reading, say it says, ideally it might say 120 over 80 or something like that. The bottom number, the diastolic number, is what goes on when your heart is filling. And only when it's filled can the muscles of the heart contract and go spreading out over the arterial tree with the systolic or high number. And I think that women get burned out because they don't give themselves time enough to fill. And what fills you is what makes your heart sing. It's beauty. It's love. It's, I also think it often is a capacity for solitude, mm. to be with one's self at rest. I really encourage women to think of themselves as, as needing both the output and the fill
0: in their lives. Beautiful. Oh, Dr. Boland, that was magnificent. Thank you so much for joining us today and inspiring our listeners. And I know you've inspired me as well. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you for the invitation
0: it was wonderful it's it was delightful to have you here and and listeners if you have an artemis inside ready to leap into action contact Jean or i and there's lots of ways you can get involved so remember together we're creating connections for the greater good of the whole until next time i'm sending you a world of love bye for now